Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, December 11th, 2016. The share ID for Friday, December 9th, is 9344. That's 9344. This morning, A Vision for You presents Chapter 8, Two Wives. An alcoholic or a compulsive overeater reading through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous for the first time might be tempted to skip over Chapter 8 since it is titled To Wives. Skipping this chapter for any reason would be a serious oversight and one that might hinder rather than help the soon-to-be recovering alcoholic or compulsive overeater. Why would that be the case? Well, one constant among alcoholics is a tendency to believe that their problem, even after they admit there is one, is theirs and no one else's. This is especially true for compulsive overeaters who most often think that compulsive overeating is merely a food and weight problem and does not impact others. Unfortunately, This is not completely true. As Chapter 8 points out, for every man who drinks, others are involved. The wife who trembles in fear of the next debauch, the mother and father who see their son wasting away. This does not even include the children, friends, co-workers, neighbors, community members, doctors, and others who are also suffering in some way from the effects of someone else's drinking or compulsive overeating. Chapter 8 can be helpful in revealing the impact someone else's drinking can have, and every compulsive overeater, every alcoholic needs to be aware in the process of recovery that they are not the only ones affected. As this chapter comes alive this morning, let's open our minds and understand what our wives, our husbands, our family, and our friends had to deal with when we were still actively compulsively overeating. Joining this morning are six recovered compulsive overeaters who will bring Chapter 8 to wives to life through their own personal experience and fascinating insights. So let's get started with Chapter 8 to Wives. You'll find it on page 104. And our first panelist this morning is Deb W. from Oklahoma, who will concentrate on the first three pages of this chapter. Welcome to you, Deb W. Good morning, Leah. Can you hear me? Very well. Okay. Good morning, everyone. This is Deb W. recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Today I'm commenting on pages 10406, like Alea said, and it's to wives. I'm looking from the view of a child who grew up with one parent an alcoholic and the other suffering from rage, watching the reactions of my mother and the behaviors of my father. The mental uh, instructions for us kids were be responsible keep your problems to yourself, and stay out of the way. My life was like having all the ingredients of a recipe except one secret ingredient was missing, an alcoholic. My kids watched me eat all day long, devour devour pies and cakes, and no one questioned me. My weight was always up and down depending on whether I could get diet pills, keep a diet long enough, to lose anything or plain white knuckling. 
I spent a lot of time raising my kids from the bedroom or the couch depressed, repeating many characteristics of my mother. And like us, no one said anything about mom, the elephant in the living room. No one talked about dad's drinking, nor did they about my uncontrollable eating. Dad and I suffered from a disease that is no respecter of persons, that takes over the creative, the religious, the scholar. It robs all self-respect, takes away hope. It's a subtle killer. It breaks up homes. It distorts our body. We never look the same, even if we lose the weight or survive alcoholism. It destroys our minds and blocks us from the almighty spirit of the light, our creator, and on our own, we cannot find our way back. We have certainly tried. When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid. We have become closed off from the possibility of a connection to a power outside ourselves, a power necessary to keep going. We are closed off from God. Our lives are unmanageable. Our emotions are out of control. My dad started drinking when he was around 16. His family had a still behind their house in the country. Alcohol was always a part of his life. He didn't marry my mother until she was pregnant with their third child. And mother, his mother required him to. In that day, being single with babies was quite shameful. My dad was happiest when he drank, and my world was at ease when he was happy. The first man I loved, the light of my life, and an alcoholic. Mom had a white picket fence ideal. She came from a small town and wanted the best for her family. What people thought of us meant a lot to her. Highly educated, she excelled, and after we grew up, attended some form of education most of her life. She taught school and was offered a position at the university. Love for her was shown by keeping food on the table, clean clothes, a clean house. Growing up, I was a cheerleader and very critical of her. She was a perfectionist, hard to please, a complex and intense person. As it happens, when I was grown, she loosened up and I worked out resentments in program and we became closer. Our loyalty and the desire that our husbands hold up their heads and be like other men have begotten all sorts of predicaments. My dad sold real estate, so he was gone a lot, sometimes all weekend. As the alcoholism got worse, he was gone more than he was home until he just faded away. We got accustomed to him not being there. My mom knew where to go where he hung out, and if needed, sent my older brother there for him. Alcohol took everything from him, and he let us go. My dad opened a liquor store at some point, what irony, and mom was sore. And when he asked, she refused to support his dreams for the business. Eventually, my mother divorced him in order to keep the house. Note, she never applied for that divorce until he stopped coming home at all. His pride was hurt, and it was her fault, never looking at his drinking as the culprit. We addicts can make up our own realities, tell others convincing lies because we grow up to believe the lies. We grow to believe the lies, and any story is better than choosing between the bottle, the food, or family. It is our security, our fallback. 
We have tried to hold the love of our children for their father. My mother was forever loyal and faithful to my dad. She never called him an alcoholic or alluded that he drank too much. She was able to block out what wasn't acceptable to her. No matter how drunk he got, when he came home, she didn't see it. She never called it what it was. My mother had her own internal conflicts, her demons. She grew into an angry woman. Dad and his habit robbed her of her dreams. She had to have known that he was a heavy drinker before they married, but she was in love, and no amount of swaying against it would have changed her mind. I sensed that she had so much she wanted to express, problems she was trying to get answers for, and the attention of an alcoholic who was still in his cup. She hated the alcohol but loved the man. She didn't know that alcohol is a destroyer of both the alcoholic and the ones they love. Without help, alcohol will demand to be number one, and it will win out in the end. In the midst of such pandemonium, pandemonium degenerated due to their discord, their inability to follow through with a simple plan. Their plans got stuck in the bickering. When my parents tried to make a decision, it ended up a cliffhanger brought up and left in the air, them leaving the room, us kids waiting around to see if we could go, hoping they would say yes, hoping someone would bring it up again if they stopped talking about it, knowing we couldn't, better not. The original topic got lost in mom's tears and his anguishing sighs, lost in his world of silence, usually followed with him easing out of the house to get a nip, us kids hanging behind the walls, hoping this would be one of the times they'd figure it out or that she would just give in, even if followed with lots of sniffing and disdain. And we get to go on that family drive or get to take that trip to Oklahoma. Dad always waited on Mom's permission, and she hardly ever gave it without torment to him, which tormented us. Maybe because this is the one time she had control and she could make him pay for all the times when she had no control. Usually, he left and was just gone the rest of the evening, and we waited, hoping he'd be back. Why didn't he just ignore her and say, we're going? After all, he was the man of the house. As an adult, I realized it could have been that there was little or no money. He brought the idea up to us without discussing it with her, which left her as the bad guy. He was the alcoholic who was willing to throw everything to the wind for a good time. She knew his broken promises left her to figure out the rest after the fun was over. But for every man who drinks, others are involved. Every, even living in an alcoholic home with an angry mother, we were protected. We had rules. Expectations were put upon us. People with social position let us play with their children. Dad always told us you can do anything set your, if you set your mind to it, and yet he failed at his aspirations. Alcohol proved to be more comforting than his aspirations. Until a fourth step, I was conflicted. Dad's philosophies didn't match his life, but I would never have admitted that. I loved my dad. When Mom put Dad out, he left our house and lived with his niece. He got a job at a bakery, and when I married, he wanted to make my wedding cake. He carried that cake an hour and a half on an hour and a half drive because I depended on him to provide the cake, and he was so proud for the request. He walked me down the aisle and was the proudest dad, and I was the proudest daughter. I didn't see his red eyes, 
and didn't mind holding him up as he stumbled with me down the aisle. Found out later that people were laughing at him, but I didn't care. My dad had a disease that required us to explain and make excuses for his behavior. We did it automatically, even when no one asked, even in denial about what was really wrong. Our loyalty and the desire that our husbands hold up their heads and be like other men have begotten all sorts of predicaments. The problem was dad had a distraction. Something other than us required his attention. He may have started out drinking, able to keep commitment, still held the respect of his partner and peers. Problem was, as time went by, he started losing the confidence of his friends and jobs, then the wife, and lastly the children who, like me, didn't understand why he acted the way he did, why he didn't follow through with anything he promised. Alcohol made a liar out of him. The wife who trembled in fear of the next debauch. We had been driven to maudlin, meaning over-sentiment, over-emotional sympathy to bitter resentment. Her disillusionment melted, and through her angry tears and useless frustration, she began to see reality. She stopped hoping and started cleaning houses to make up for the inconsistent income. I can see her now leaving the car, going up to the rich woman's house, and because we only owned one car, I was usually late to school. Mom couldn't drive. Remember her coming home tired, yet picking up books and going to classes at the university in order to get a degree. She followed a premonition that one day we would probably be dependent on her income only. She was a woman who listened and felt guilty when her husband said he wanted her to stay home and raise us. He didn't think she needed to get an education. She was wasting money. Doing so disrespected her husband, made him feel less than a man. But the electricity kept getting shut off, and the refrigerator was empty, and he was nowhere to be found. What they say will apply to nearly everyone bound by ties of blood or affection to an alcoholic. My mother was surely bound by ties of affection, and she took us with her. My mother carried her burdens alone. However, she would have never participated with a group of women who talked about how their husbands drink and don't anymore. She came up in an era that you kept family business in the family. In my mother's day, women didn't leave marriages, not like they do today. My mother would just roll her sleeves up, put on her boxing gloves, determined to use church and God to defeat dad's drinking problem. When he kept drinking, she grew angrier, more frustrated, and let down by both God and my dad. We have been unselfish and self-sacrificing. We have told innumerable lies to protect our pride and our husband's reputations. We have prayed. We have begged. We have been patient. We have run away. We have been hysterical. We have been terror-stricken. We have sought sympathy. We have had retaliatory love affairs with other men. My mother never would have had an affair with any person. However, she was devoted to her anger, her resentments, her self-pity and he paid for his drinking. She kept herself from him and was faithful, even if she showed him no emotion, no affection, or admiration passed between them. Somehow her coldness had a rippling effect on us kids. My dad drunk once and told me, my dad got drunk once and told me about twin sisters that I had. Once he sobered up, he didn't know what I was talking about. 
They struck the children. It was my mother, not the alcoholic. Many times she struck out in anger at the missing alcoholic, whipping mainly me for things, as I look back, that made no sense. A popular reason for a beating was I came home from school with the dirty socks. I was whipped with branches and extension cords, resulting in bloody welts. So many whippings today, I don't know what I could have done so wrong at that age. I was a tomboy. I never learned how to keep my socks clean. Just learned how to turn them inside out before I came home from school. All I got out of those beatings was shame and guilt, feeling degraded when someone would see my scars, my whelps. I felt I deserved it. I was embarrassed. Never even phantomed that children are being raised without being whipped. I remember she would prepare the most elaborate meals. Our house would be spotless. She would dress up the table. We would sit down even to candles with dad who was missing or mom hostile, even even still unable to wake up from a drunken stupor to come to the table. Or if he made it to the table, he often sat over his plate, falling back to sleep, bending ever so slowly. Us kids would be watching to see if he would fall all the way in his plate. But every time he'd catch himself, sit back up and do it all again. I couldn't understand why she couldn't just listen to him, why she refused to be happy. Our husband sneaked so many drinks that they spoiled the occasions. He called it a nip. Daddy's just going to get a little nip. I never understood why this was such a problem because he was funny while drinking. He laughed and told jokes and got loud. When my aunts were over drinking with him, my mom wasn't so mad and the house was full of merriment. But when they got the merriest, they all left to go somewhere in the middle of the night and we were back to my mother's cleaning and sniffing the rest of the night. We began to ask medical advice as the sprees got closer together. I tricked my dad into drinking, I say. Took him to the doctor who gave him some pills, and the doctor said if he drank, those pills would make him horribly sick or even fatal. And he quit. He said later he wanted to stop anyway, but those pills didn't cause him to stop, and he probably was right. I tricked myself, perhaps. Rumor was it that a liquor bottle was found in his house after my dad died. I chose to believe he didn't go back to drinking again. I found out I could choose to believe whatever I wanted to, so I did. After he stopped drinking, my mother tried to get him back, but his pride was too broken. He died a dry drunk. He lived out the rest of his life rehearsing his mistakes, why mom was wrong, and contemplating his lost opportunities. And with that, I passed. Thank you very much, Deb W. Now we'll continue through the chapter with Kathy Kay, our second panelist this morning. Thank you, Leah. This is Kathy Kay, recovered compulsive overeater from Boston, and I am going to highlight some things from page 107 through 109. Um, and I want to start by giving you a little bit of context. Um, I have been married for 36 years. I found uh, OA 23 years ago, and so I actually got married in disease, although I didn't know I had a disease. 
Um, and for the first 12 years I was in OA, I had on and off abstinence and treated my food plan as a diet and had not really found uh, a spiritual awakening, didn't even consider it. Um, so um, I want to comment on the effects that um, my behavior and experience has had on my husband and my marriage. Um, I could also talk about the impact on my son, but since I only have uh, 10 minutes, I thought I would focus on this. Um, it says on the top of page 107, as animals on a treadmill, we have patiently and wearily climbed, falling back in exhaustion after each futile uh, effort to reach solid ground. For me, uh, this treadmill actually uh, was true for both my husband and for me. I was constantly looking for a new diet. I was constantly falling in and out of anxiety and depression. Um, and he was on the treadmill of seeing me get better for weeks or months and then falling back into uh, depression and anxiety and overeating. Now, this might not have been so bad except for the fact that I was diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic five years before I got into program, so I was actually killing myself with food, and my husband knew that, and he felt powerless and frustrated. Um, uh, he wondered how, it says in the middle of this page, how could men who love their wives and children be so unthinking, so callous, so cruel? There could be no love in such persons. Um, for a while, they would be their old, sweet selves, only to dash a new structure of affection to pieces once more. Asked why they commenced to drink again, they would reply with some silly excuse or, not, or none. And that was me. I minimized the severity of overeating in my life, and he felt powerless, um, and really ill-equipped to help me in any way. I, as I looked over these pages, um, I realized anew that my husband developed some great coping mechanisms. Um, he ha he's a very creative guy with a lot of... Um, uh, a great sense of humor, and he would start uh, singing songs about me in a positive way to try to lighten his load and lighten our load. But I found that when I was eating, I was quite depressed, also self-centered and selfish, and most of the time, I would find reasons to blame him, that if he paid more attention to me, I wouldn't have to overeat. Um, or if he would just do what I thought he should do, I wouldn't have to worry about anything. Um, it was not, I must say, until... Um, I started doing my step work in 2005 and finally got 
to my step four that I was able to see how my disease had um, really um, infused our relationship to the point where I was blaming him, I was not loving him, I was not generous, I was only focused on myself and what I didn't have. Um, neither of us could really grasp the seriousness of our situation, um, principally because I never had a lot of weight to lose, so my disease was hidden. Um, I did do therapy many times, came home with lots of insight and the inability to actually change my attitudes and behaviors. Um, if you look on page 108, perhaps your husband has been living in that strange world of alcoholism where everything is distorted and exaggerated. You can see he really does love you with his better self, but in nearly every instance the alcoholic only seems to be unloving and inconsiderate. is usually because he is warped and sickened that he does these appalling things. Today, most of our men are better husbands and fathers than ever before, and I can say gratefully today, having been recovered now for a number of years, that I am a better wife, that I do um, look at my part in any challenging situation I may face, rather than immediately going to blame and self-pity. And this is a gift of this program. Um, going to the bottom of page 108, uh, it's outlined in this chapter um, four different types of drinkers or compulsive overeaters, and these are actually parallel to what Dr. Silkworth presented to us in the doctor's opinion. And I would just like to say um, that um, I started out as type 1, as a heavy eater. Uh, food was always very important in my life. And I was able to stop and moderate on occasion, but never for any length of time. I kept up a good job and career, was a reasonably good mother, um, but over time, I slipped into type 2, which is where everything starts to suffer. Um, and uh, that, was, that persisted for many years where I, until I found the 12 steps and began to work them in my life. I was on that treadmill that was mentioned earlier, and so was my husband. I'm so grateful today that I understand my disease, um, that I can honestly say I was type 2 um, on page 109, showing lack of control, uh, unable to stay on the water wagon even when I wanted to. Um, and later down, he is worried at times and becoming aware that he cannot drink like other people. Um, he is remorseful after serious drinking bouts and tells you he wants to stop. That was me. 
That was me, an untreated compulsive overeater. Um, and, uh, you know, it's only through doing the work of this program that I have replaced my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my self-pity with love and patience and kindness. And uh, I'm not killing myself today um, with overeating. I actually am healthier physically than I've ever been. And I owe that all to this program. I sometimes have remorse about how many years I was hurting my husband and my family. But I have been able to make amends. The first time I made amends to my husband, the problem was I was not healthy enough to actually um, make living amends. And so I broke many promises. But after doing this work thoroughly uh, in steps four through eight, uh, when it came to making amends, I was able to change my behavior and to behave in a way uh, that my husband feels loved and accepted and in true partnership with me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, Kathy Kay. Now we'll move on to panelist number three with Devora S. from New Jersey. Hi, good morning, everyone. You can hear me okay? Yes. Great, thank you. Good morning, everyone. This is Devora S. from New Jersey, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And I'm going to be developing pages um, bottom of 109 through 112. And talks about, as Kathy was saying, the different kind of um, alcoholics. This disease is progressive. Um, but I just want to, where, where I come from, you know, I started off, I was number one. You know, num- number one, I enjoyed drinking. It was fun. I enjoyed eating. It was fun. Get together with my friends. We'd go out to eat. And, you know, it was still fun. I, 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 I You know, we had good times with it. And I got married. And my husband and I, what did we do for fun? We ate. And. You know, but but it was says in the first sentence there, second sentence, oddly enough, he's often difficult to deal with. But I didn't want to hear. People would tell me, you know, growing up, my mother, my my father, my aunt, whatever, you know, lose the weight now. You know, it's easier now. Take care of it now. Get it over with. You know, you don't want to get older and have this problem. Take care of it now. You know, but I, you know, I shoot, I, I pushed it away. I didn't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to think about it. I was working, it was working for me now. And um, and I used it as a social social lubricant, as it says. For the, the we all we all know about liquor as a social lubricant. You know, I used the food. It was fun. You know, um, it was a way also that you know to, um, not to have to deal with things, especially being married. You know, as a young wife and a young mother, um, it was easier to you know cook up a really nice meal and present my husband with these gourmet foods and. And have to deal with like the issues that were going on, you know. It was so much easier. Let's let's just pass the time with food and camouflage it all, instead of taking care of the necessities here of what was really going on. Um, and then I progressed into, you know, the next husband, um, where I went a little bit further, um, and you know, it talks about on page 110 that maybe he admits he cannot drink with other people, but is asking why. But, but does not yet see why. 
Um, and then maybe the, the trips to the sanitariums and hospitals has begun. So although I never, you know, went into a sanitarium or a hospital yet um, at this point, but I was going to doctors. I was going to a lot of different doctors because my health was deteriorating. Um, I was a young mother, a young woman. I had already developed diabetes and high blood pressure. I had the neuropathy in my feet from the diabetes. And if I looked at a calendar in those days, my daily calendar, I was going from this doctor to this doctor to this doctor. And, you know, everybody was telling me, you know, just lose the weight. You know, see what you could do. You know, if you get your weight down, if you lose 100 pounds, you feel so much better. Oh, yeah, I'd feel a lot better. I'd feel all the things I was trying to camouflage um, in my life and in my relationships. So, you know, but it wasn't helping me. Um, and then I, I got to a point where I really wanted to stop. I really, really wanted to stop. I knew everything about stopping. You know, I thought that I, I had a friend who went for the uh, bypass surgery, you know, and I thought that was going to be the answer and I was going to do that. But you know what? Fear gripped me. I, I, I didn't want to do that. You know, I figured, oh, there's got to be a better way. Um, so here I was. Now I am, um, you know, uh, developing into the stage four, you know, this next stage of the, you know, I, I'm, I'm not being able to, to keep a job. You know, I had a nice career. I was a teacher. And yet the school didn't give me back a classroom. They put me, I was doing like odd jobs around the school, you know, like a go-to person, you know, uh, and, and, you know, being used in that way. Um, you know, it talks about here, um, I just, I underline this in the book, I just want to bring it out. Sometimes he drinks on the way home from the hospital. You know, how many times, you know, I went to the doctor um, and I ate on the way home after my doctor gave me the speech, you know, for 10 minutes telling me how I'm killing myself with the food. How often did I stop at the local place and just pick up something to eat on, on the way home for 20 minutes in the car until I got home? Because that was going to, you know, I knew, you know, I just couldn't do it. Um, and, but the sentence that strikes out is that many of our husbands were just as far gone, you know, but I was really far gone. Yet, yet they got well. But yet, I, but yet, there was a solution. There was something waiting for me that, that I, too, I was going to get eligible. I was going to get the relief. I was going to get the help I needed. And, um, you know, I, you know, thank God I got into program and I got abstinent and I lost the weight. And, yeah, I started feeling a lot of things, you know. Um, and it was so easy to point the finger at my husband, if only he would do what I wanted, if only he would behave that I wanted him to behave, if only he would just eat the way I ate, you know, things would go much better. It would be so much easier if only he would do what I wanted to do. You know, the, restless, the restlessness, the irritability, the, the, the unhappiness, discontentment, you know, really, really magnified in those, in those years until I was able to just get in, you know, just lay aside everything that I think I know and to say, just surrender to this process, surrender to the steps in this program and to really work it out and, 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 to, and, and to work on myself. You know, on page 111 it talks about the first principle of success is that you should never be angry. So here I was, I was abstinent, I lost 150 pounds, but I was still full of rage and anger because I wanted people to do what I wanted them to do. And I needed to really, like, 
you know, how was I going to develop this principle? How was I going to develop these principles that this page talks about? You know, of of not being anger, of not telling my husband what he should be doing about his eating, um, not trying to change my husband. You know, I wanted I wanted all these things. Um, you know, since I got better already, I wanted he should also you know do what I'm doing. Um, what was I going to do? And I need I, I, I saw the only way that I can help him was that I needed to recover. I needed to develop a relationship with my higher power. I needed to lean into God and to forget about looking at his difficulties, his deficiencies, but to concentrate on developing and getting out of myself and leaning into a higher power. And that's the only way that I could be helpful to my husband and to accept him and to be um, um, patient and loving and never get angry. Not that I'm never going to get angry. Things do, you know, you know, am I always, always patient? Am I always, you know, never angry? But you know what? I have a place to go with it today, you know, by working the steps. You know, it says here, do not set your heart on reforming your husband. You know, how often, you know, not, it's not my husband, it's my children. I want to change my siblings. They should want, I want them to think like I think. You know, it reminds me, um, you know, on page, you know in, on page 60 in the big book where it says, where it says, um, um, you know, the first requirement is that we convince that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are almost running into collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. You know, I might have good intentions that I want to have people do what I want them to do or have them think the way I have them to think. Those motives might be very good, but it's very selfish of me to want that. And most people try to live by self-perversion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the show. But I'm getting into that idea that, you know, that, I know what's right for everybody, and that's and that's not the case. I don't know anything. Instead, you know what the, what I need to do over here. You know, on this page it says, attempt instead to put yourself in his place. I need to remember where I came from. I need to be, you know, remember my, you know, what it is to um, to be in this situation, to be sick um, with the food, and and and. And not knowing a way out, I I have to, and I remember, you know, to keep my memory green, um, I want to be helpful, to be of service rather than to be critical. You know, these are the principles of success that I I need to live by. Um, you know, and the key thing for me is to, you know, to lean into God, to lean into my higher power, um, and that's, you know, that's what this bottom line is of this program. That you know this you know when when you know when Bill was laying in the hospital you know um, and he was um, he had that spiritual experience you know what did he think of he he said you know you know I he he realized his powerlessness and he can't do anything and only God can so I needed you know I need to remember that on a daily basis when dealing with 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 others and and family you know that they too you know, are, are like me, um, and that I, too, can pray for them and to um, to relieve them of, of, of whatever is going on. Um, and, you know, the last principle says here that, you know, it says, and tell them that you've been worried, um, you know, and on page 112, 
one of the things that I can do is, is you know, that I can show him um, that I might concern about him, um, what he's doing with, with the food, with the alcohol, um, that I have confidence that he, in his, he can stop or moderate, that you don't want to be a nag, I don't want him to, I don't want to, but I'm concerned. And, you know, I remember, um, you know, my husband is a heart patient, and he um, had a, he had a doctor, and the doctor said to him, you know, just lose the weight, lose the weight. And I, I was concerned, you know, I, you know, I, you know, my husband would come home, and I'd say, well, how was it? What would the doctor say? And the doctor, and he would say, oh, everything's just fine, everything's just fine. And I called up the doctor, and I said, you know, I'm really concerned because, you know, my husband comes home, and he says, you know, everything is just fine, but yet I see my husband's like 350 pounds, and you know, it's 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 hard to watch, and you know, my husband didn't have any. The, the doctor didn't have an answer. But what I realized that I needed to do was I needed to keep on, keep on. I needed to just keep on recovering. I needed to keep on doing this program and and keeping the eyes on my own plate and praying for him. You know what? The answer did come. You know, the more I worked on this program, the more I got better. Um, my husband um, got better, and he got into program, and he is working a program. And because I kept my mouth quiet, and I just, I, 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 I just worked on my program. Um, the biggest thing that I can do for a person who is in pain and in suffering is to just to stay abstinent and not eat, and to and to and to keep my connection with God strong. Um, and that's and that's what keeps me going here each day, you know, by just working my program, praying for others, and being of absolute service to them. And you know, I pray about that. You know, in the mornings when I wake up, I need to constantly bring myself, go over, you know, open my eyes and ask God, how can I be of ultimate service to you and my fellows? You know, show me. Let me not be blind to that. And that's you know that you know that is. The, um, that is the key foundation of my program, um, you know. And and I'll end with this: Do not set your heart on reforming your husband. You know, it says previously on page 103. It says, um, it says here, um, someday we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous will help the public to a better realization of the gravity of the alcoholic problem. But we shall be of little use with our attitude is one of bitterness or hostility. You know, what good am I if I'm gonna be bitter um, and hostile? You know, I was like that, you know, in my in my disease and in my cups. It didn't help anybody. Um, all it did was make them shy away from me further. So if I wanna bring myself closer to people and be of service to them, then I need to, to accept them. And patience, tolerance, and love, that is the key here. And how do I get it? by developing my relationship with God, by practicing it, by asking God how to be of ultimate service and 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 to um to re to recover, recover, recover as it's said on this program. And with that I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Devora S. Let's continue to study chapter eight to wives with our next panelist Charles H. from New York. Thank you, Leah, for your service. I'm Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. Can you hear me? Yes, very well. Thank you so much. 
um, to the wives, you know, for me, I, I really believe that Lois um, was a real MVP behind this thing, and I and I really believe that, you know, my wife is a real MVP as well. Um, so for me, this is the Al-Anon chapter, and although it says on page 121 that um, Al-Anon was started 13 years after this chapter was written, and it has nothing to do um, with with debate with AA, and and I agree with that. But I'd like to just take your attention to um, page 19 real quick, where it says we feel that the elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. A much more important demonstration of our principles lie before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. Hmm. So maybe they're talking about chapter eight, chapter nine, and chapter ten. Uh, because why would I just want to recover just to be like, let me wear a, a cape and, and wear a vest that say, oh, amen, and no, that's not why. Um, you know, uh, where it says on page 113, I love this, where it says, um, if he if he is enthusiastic, your cooperation will mean a great deal. If he is lukewarm or thinks he is not an alcoholic, we suggest you leave him alone. Avoid urging him to follow our program. The seed has been planted in his mind. He knows that thousands of much thousands of men, much like himself, have recovered. The seed has been planted, and you know it. It, it just wow! Like I could imagine Lois just just leaving Bill alone, or just not like like being a wet blanket. You know, in my own life, like um, allowing something something powdery and white, or sometime in a rock form, to to tear me to shreds, allowing it to. Why is it not doing that today? But I allowed it to destroy me nearly. I allowed it to, and my wife, she wasn't really happy about it, but she wasn't preaching to me, but she she supported me on all my binges and my runs. I mean, not supported, enabled. She, you know, I mean, I remember, I mean, vicious, vicious runs, violent runs, terrible runs with, with alcoholism and crack. I mean, that's just my story. You know, um, she waited until repeated stumbling convinced me that I must act. I mean, I I went to sanitariums and um and, and, and hospitals and and crisis centers and um man, I went. To, I could tell you, I went to one of uh, a, a rehab and I was extorting somebody and knowing that when I get out, I was gonna um I was gonna smoke crack. I knew it. I just went to rest up. Um, so I could I I could really identify with this. I owe more to my family than just just um just being abstinent, just being on a diet. I owe them more. I owe my wife more. Um, I owe my kids more. I owe my employers more. I owe my employees more, and I owe the family after. And 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 by no stretch of the imagination, it's still a pro- it's a process. Oh man, I called some of my aunts, and they, you know, you think I got a strong personality? Woof! And uh, 
Yeah, so I owe them much more. Um, so it says uh, he may not if he he may not share your enthusiasm, but he is practically sure to read the book, and he may go for the program at once. If he does not, you probably you probably won't have a long time to wait. They talking about husband number three. I, I tell you, I, I'm not even trying to sound dramatic, but uh, you know, I, I I think I was three and four. I mean, for a while, I just didn't. You know, my story is I didn't care about uh, I didn't care about going on diets. I didn't care if I was destroying my body. I just wanted instant gratification. I didn't care if I was a tornado. I didn't care who I was destroying. I didn't care whose feelings I was hurting. Um, but but at the the bottom of the page where it says uh. You would suppose on page one thirteen. You would suppose that men in the fourth classification would be quite hopeless, but that is not so. Many of Alcoholics Anonymous were like that. Everybody had given up on them. I, oh, I could identify with that. I mean, because I was I was horrible. I I could share one story with you that I uh and and, and I don't care if y'all go tell the IRS because I already paid them back, but. I still I, I claimed your kids, your kids, your kids, and then I took a ten thousand dollar check to the crack house, and I was so cracked out of my mind. I gave somebody my debit card. They came back, and you know, I mean, this was after like two weeks. All my fingers were bloodied, and I put uh, garbage pads around all of them. And I went back to work and said I burned it all on a hot stove. I, I guess I wasn't lying, but. I didn't burn it on a hot stove, literally, but I burned it through flickering that lighter, and they let me go back to work. So it would just add in another chapter to um to the defeat, and the defeat seems certain, yet often such men have spectacular and powerful recoveries. Now, by no stretch of the imagination, I'm not saying I have an extraordinary, powerful um, uh, recovery, but I tell you one thing, I ain't giving up. I ain't giving up. But there are exceptions. Um, top of page 114, some men have been so impaired by alcohol that they cannot stop. Um, sometimes there are cases where alcoholism is complicated by other disorders. Oh, I know I'm talking good because I-, I told you about the other uh, disorders, double winners and triple winners up in here. Um, I'm, I'm one of them. You know, um, you know uh, I-, I, could, I could talk about... Uh, it also says somewhere that some men down in the middle of page 114, some men cannot or will not get over alcoholism. Um, you know, my, my, my brother-in-law, Jose, man, he's on life support because of, because of diabetes. It's not a joke. It's a killing machine. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 you know, my wife, she hates OA. She's like, she thinks OA is my other lover, but it, it, it but you know what? I need all readers anonymous. I need to be engulfed um, on this spiritual um, process on a daily basis. Oh, I'm a goner. I'm a goner. I, you know, I, I need this process. Um, but it says, it says. Uh, but you know, I pray for my brother Jose because God, the power of God goes deep. Like I, I believe, I believe that you know God can, you know, because He gives us a lot of. In, in my opinion, He gives a lot of warnings. I think I'm like a I'm like a car, you know, the check engine light comes on and I avoid it, and, and something else happened, and then and then and then my higher power God might be like, All right, I'm I'm gonna stop the car. I'm, I gave you so much warnings, and I could identify with all those warnings, all those episodes, all those chapters. Um, 
but the power of the power of God goes deep. Um, it also says if 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 you uh, on the bottom of one fourteen, if your husband is a drinker, you probably worry over what other people are thinking, and you hate to meet your friends. Oh man, um, all the embarrassment. Top of one fifteen, all the embarrassment um, that you know I I told my wife to t- you know tell my employers uh you know I got sick. All those lies I told. I was sick. That really wasn't a lie, but it wasn't because of. It was because, you know, I was I was using. Um, you know, I could just identify. I I could just identify lying to my family all the time. I I didn't want to tell my sister. I felt less than. I felt, oh man, I I did it again. Um, and I kept doing it until. Until I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I owe my wife. My wife was the MVP. My family's the MVP. I owe them much more than, you know, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I lost weight. Hey, look. Yeah, but if I'm still carrying on with the same behaviors, I haven't gained anything. I haven't gained any. I could lose a lot of weight, but if I ain't gained no spirituality, you know, I, I haven't done much, right? And I just want to, um, you know, I just want to say that, you know, to the newcomer or somebody struggling or or you know, wherever you're at from a, from a humble standpoint, right, there's no special upper room in OA. Everyone is allowed to sit at the captain's table. You know, I, could, I, I swear, if, you, if, if, if I could download, download humility, I'll upload growth. And let me tell you, I'm I'm on the line. In closing, I'm on the line every single day. I know where y'all at. We had schisms and isms in the in the, in the fourth to the second edition. I just donate my time to a newcomer because God said in this season you need to just be quiet. And that's just for me. That's just for me. I'm not telling you what you got to do and telling you how, how it should go. Yeah, I voice my opinion, you know, on social media, but that's my business. But um. I just I just talk too much and I need to shut up and I need to listen and uh and I and, and you guys are my family. You guys are the family afterwards. All of y'all, all the 3000 um of you are my family after and I deeply love you and and I love your passion. I love your aggression. Um I love the moderators. I love everybody that do service. Um and and, and with that I pass. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you very much, Charles H. from New York. Let's continue with panelist number five, Judy F. from Massachusetts. Good morning, Leah. Can I be heard? Indeed. Thank you so much for asking. This is Judy F. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Grateful to be here. And very nervous. (laughs) Um, I'm going to be talking about taking passages out of pages 116, 117, and 118. And I'll just give you a quick background uh, so you understand where my husband and I are coming from. Um, I've been married uh, 19 and a half years, and I was um, six years abstinent and recovered when we got married. Um, And when we met, I was four years abstinent. And um, it's been a journey, uh, definitely, uh, thank you God for the 12 steps and for the big book, um, on how to work the steps because 
I would say when um, I got married, I, I had um, experienced people in program where I was going to meetings. Um, uh, although I was introduced to the big book right away and, and did the steps out of the big book, um, the, a, the OA book came about, and so we started doing steps through the OA. And to be honest, I, my focus became a lot on the tools and um, abstinence um, and God, but I was not working um, a real true, as I know it today, uh, step 10 and 11 with, with the um, step 10 processes during the day of resentment, fear, and dishonesty, and, and then at night to catch anything, um, especially resentment and, and um, selfishness. So things kind of grew up in, in our, uh, between my husband and I, um, and um, that uh, resentments. And um, so he was, uh, and I had heard people uh, going on their uh, honeymoons and coming back like 10 pounds heavier or going off their plan or breaking their abstinence. So I was, I was in fear when we first got married. And so what I did with that fear is I increased um, the number of meetings. I would travel uh, into Boston to what were very strong meetings. And um, for instance, um, on Saturdays, I would leave the house at uh, quarter seven in the morning and he wouldn't see me until about one or two o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday and then we would start our weekend and this is in my first year of marriage you know when when um, the honeymoon is supposed to continue um, and that's because I was doing it a step study and a meeting and then I would have lunch we would fellowship and then I would come home so um, in, um, in, when we were about eight years into our, seven or eight years into our marriage, um, my husband wanted to leave the marriage and he felt um, he wasn't um, important uh, and, um, and it was true. I was putting program first, that's what um, I was doing. And I was not um, working with principles. And, and what I love about the pages that I chose it really talks about the principles on how to be in a um, healthy relationship, healthy communication, and to amend the ways. Um, so even though I was abstinent and um, and going to God, I I was not um, working um, love and tolerance and um, and acceptance of Him. I do in the first paragraph. I want to just um, say just in my experience with. Um, that got me here is when it says um, you may be afraid your husband will lose his position and then down um, should it happen again regarded in a different light maybe it will prove a blessing and so the first time I was um, fired and laid off that was um, the impetus that got me into um, uh, into recovery uh, I lost my and this was before I was I was married and it was back in 1991 when uh, my abstinent date is um, July 29th, 1991. And I lost my job. I, I lost everything. And I had to see that this, I was powerless and unmanageable. And so that was definitely, um, this apparent calamity has been a boon to us for it opened up a path which led to the discovery of God. I had to go to God. My, my work didn't um, do it. Uh, the food was just um, becoming over overwhelming, too important, and I was 
um, in misery. And so I, I definitely can relate in with that. Um, you know, we have elsewhere remarked how much better life is when lived on a spiritual plane. Um, if God can solve the age-old riddle of alcoholism, he can solve your problems too. So when my husband asked me, um, so he wanted to leave the marriage, I was devastated. Um, and I was surprised I was devastated because in my head for about a year, I was very resentful of him and because he he didn't like program. He, he gave me a hard time when I went out to meetings. It um, and I, I even thought, well, maybe this isn't a good match. And so um, fortunately, I had come to, um, I was in the process of my, uh, my four step, and I was doing turnarounds, um, you know, the turnaround questions, and in the four step, and I kept over and over and over in every relationship I've had that, that I was resentful of, I saw my selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and fear. And then I could see it in, in my marriage. So God opened my eyes to my behavior because I kept thinking, well, I'm abstinent. I'm working a program and, and he, he just can't accept who I am. And, and that really wasn't what was going on. Um, it, uh, I can relate into, we wives found that like everybody else, we were afflicted with pride, self-pity, vanity, and all the things which make up the self-centered person. And that's who I was. And in, in retrospect, later on, he has talked that that's, he was there too. Um, but I just focused on myself and that's what these steps really um, bring me back to. Um, if I'm disturbed, it's something in me and I was very disturbed. And so I could then see and what I, I pray, oh, I got on my knees. I remember the night I was in the bathroom. I cried for um, a week um, on a Friday night. He told me, he wanted to leave the marriage, and um, and I I literally cried for a week, um, day and night. But what I and I went to God, and I think before that, I was running the show. I was running the show in in my uh, marriage, and I thought I was always right. I was the recovered one, and he wasn't um, because of his anxiety and his jealousy. And uh, and I I had to go to God because my way was not working. Everything was falling apart. And so, um, and I'm grateful I didn't want to go to the food and I went to God and I remember being on the bathroom floor and I just said, God, I just want to be the best, the person you want me to be. I want to be the, the person you want to be. I'm not doing this to get him back. And that's how I looked at it. And, um, we tried therapy, but we went twice, and, and we both knew this that wasn't it. And it was me working the steps. Um, so now we try to put spiritual, this is on the bit bottom of page 116. Now we try to put spiritual principles to work in every department of our lives. When we do that, we find it solves our problems too. The ensuing lack of fear, worry, and hurt feelings is a wonderful thing. We urge you to try our program, and then God will show you how um, helpful to be for nothing will be helpful to you as when it's a radically changed attitude toward him, which God will show you how to have. God showed me how to have that radically changed attitude, um, and it was just working these steps, really. Like, there was, there was no magic. I just kept working it, and um, that 
living the principle of the, um, you know, love and tolerance and making amends, making living amends. Um, and it didn't happen right away, but I, I just kept the focus and I did change around some things in my program. I still, program is still very important, but it didn't have to affect him so much. Like I would um, ask people to call me before um, before 7 p.m. So I knew from 7 to 9 at night, that was his time before I went to bed. I made him feel, you know, God was the most important entity in my life, but my husband is the most important person in my life, even more important than my sponsor, than my sponsees, than myself. And, um, and I couldn't just say that. I had to live it. I did not do um, early morning weekend meetings. Um, that was our time together. I, um, if, if I was coming home on the phone I, and my husband was there, I'd say I need to get off so that I could greet him first. There were ways I didn't even realize how I was behaving until I was in the steps and I could see my selfishness um, and my fear and then the, the, the self-seeking behaviors I was doing around my husband. Um, in spite of your newfound happiness, there will be ups and downs. This is on page 116, I mean 117, uh, the first paragraph. There will be ups and downs. Many of the old problems will still be with you. This is as it should be. Wow. Um, we still, he, he will admit, he, he is jealous. I will admit, I will have expectations of him. And he doesn't um, always <laughs> go by how I think he should be. And so we get into those um, areas. And I have to then, again, bring it back to God, bring it back to what, what are my expectations of him. And uh, the faith and sincerity of both you and your husband will be put to the test. These workouts should be regarded as part of your education, for thus you will be learning to live. You will make mistakes, but if you are in earnest, they will not drag you down. We make plenty of mistakes. Um, just the other day, um, I got home from having a root canal, and I had a very long day, very painful. And he went in on something about him, and he didn't even ask me about how are you feeling, how's the root canal, and I, I was just, um, and I just came out like you, you're not even giving me any attention about my root canal, and so we were just <clears throat> going back and forth. And then, what I love on page, um, on page at the top of 118, you and your husband will find that you can dispose of serious problems easier than you can the trivial ones. Next time you and he have a heated discussion, no matter what the subject, it should be the privilege of either to smile and say, this is getting serious, I'm sorry I got disturbed, let's talk about it later. If your husband is trying to live on a spiritual basis, he will also be doing everything in his power to avoid disagreement or contention. And you know, there's a balance there because before, when we were, um, you know, before I, I really got deep into the steps and started working my 10 and 11, I would hold things in and thinking that it didn't affect him and, and it did. So, um, and there's my time. So, um, and I don't know how to turn that off. So I will just ignore it. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to pass there, but just all I like to say, I'm just so grateful. And it's so important for me to continue to work 10 and 11 um, and it rubs off. Um, I've found it rubs off on my husband 
when um, just quickly I, I had um, cancer and then surgery and I was home for a while and and then he said, oh, well, when are you going to go to a meeting? Like he was asking me to go out to a meeting um, because he knows how important it is to me. And that, that is a huge uh, change for, um, for him and for me. So very grateful. Thanks for listening. Thank you very much, Judy F. And now we'll transition to our final panelist, Kathleen W. from Arizona. Hi, my name is Kathleen W., recovered in Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm going to focus on pages 119 to 121, and in this chapter, the alcoholic husband represents me and the wife represents my husband. I'm going to reference the book and then share my experience on how it relates. Your husband will be the first to say it was your devotion and care which brought to the point which brought him to the point where he could have a spiritual experience. I truly believe that part of my spiritual experience was that God used my husband as a messenger to bring me to my higher power, which I call God. I know without a doubt that this is where I'm supposed to be because my higher power brings me such peace in my heart. My relationship with God is growing stronger every day, and as a result, I don't have much fear like I used to. Without you, he would have gone to pieces long ago. Before I met my husband and didn't have a relationship with my higher power, I was a lost, a lost sheep and was trying to do my life on my own. I don't have to do that anymore with this program and my growing relationship with God. When resentful thoughts come, try to pause and count your blessings. Now when when resentments crop up, I do step tens, and my husband and daughter have learned to make amends when they act human by seeing me work my steps in our home. After all, your family is reunited, alcohol is no longer a problem, and you and your husband are working together towards an undreamed of future. Through this program, I have learned to be present for my family for today, I'm not binging, which prevented me from spending quality time with them. We are working together to plan our future, and we are so blessed together as a family. I look back on my life, and it seems like that was not me. But I cannot rest on my laurels and forget where I came from and what, and what can happen if I stop working the steps and stop working with others. I am recovered for today, but I will never be cured of this malady. Still another difficulty is that, you may be, is that you may become jealous of the attention he bestows on other people, especially alcoholics. You have been starving for his companionship, yet he spends long hours helping other men and their families. You feel he should now be yours. It will do little good if you point that out and urge more attention for yourself. We find it a real mistake to dampen this enthusiasm for alcoholic work. In the beginning of me becoming recovered, my husband used to think I was on the phone way too much talking to fellows, and he felt I was neglecting him and our daughter. Over the past three years, I have learned to balance my my program, my job, and my family. I have found ways to talk to fellows when I am alone so I can balance both my program and my family, and I have found creative ways to balance my busy life. You should join in his efforts as much as you possibly can. 
we suggest you direct some of your thoughts to the wives of, of his new alcoholic friends. They need the counsel and love of a woman who has gone through what you have. One time um, I had met with the sponsee and my husband went with me and he visited with my sponsee's husband separately while my sponsee and I worked on her step work together. Both of our husbands didn't quite understand our malady because they don't have it, but they knew their wives both had this thing and they were both willing to support us, so it was pretty neat. It is probably true that you and your husband have been living too much alone for drinking many times isolates the wife of an alcoholic. Therefore, you probably need fresh interest in great cause to live for as much as your husband. I was hiding and binging in secret and living a separate dishonest life from my husband. Now we get together with friends and do things we enjoy doing together. He knows I enjoy traveling to OA conferences and going to meetings when we visit his family in upstate New York each summer. He doesn't understand my malady because, once again, he doesn't have it, but he understands it's important for me to do my program work in order to be a good wife and mother. I'm very grateful he is so supportive of my program. If you cooperate rather than complain, you find that his excess enthusiasm will tone down. In the beginning of me becoming recovered, I used to put my program first and was constantly on the phone or talking to fellows on the phone. I was also reading the big book every chance I got. I still have to do all of these things, but I don't have to spend as many hours as I used to in the beginning. I have learned how to balance God, family, and program, but I can't rest on my laurels and forget where I came from. I will never graduate or be cured. All I have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. Both of you will awaken to a new sense of responsibility for others. You, as well as your husband, ought to think of what you can put into life instead of how much you can take out. Inevitably, your lives will be fuller for doing so. You will lose the old life and find one much better. My husband and I are blessed to have to both be growing in, in the same faith. We try to consider what our higher power would do in situations with people and how to best serve others. We enjoy volunteering together as a family with our church where we go out into the community and serve others. It's been very fulfilling. It's been very fulfilling. We have a very blessed life today, which has been of God's doing and not our own. Your husband will see at once that he must that he must redouble his spiritual activities if he expects to survive. We need not remind him of his spiritual deficiency. He will know it. He will know of it. Today I spend time with God in the morning, during my lunch, and also I pray throughout the day. I have only been doing this for the last three years, and prior to that I was a lost sheep, and I had a lot of fear, and I was blocked from God. Staying connected to God is my medicine today. By doing this, it gives me peace in my heart. I know this is very important for me to do each day, so I don't stray and try to run the show myself. It has made a huge difference in my life today. We never, never try to arrange a man's life so as to shield him from temptation. Make him feel absolutely free to come and go as he likes. This is important. 
On page 84 in the big book, it tells us, um, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as, as, as from a hot flame. God has either removed your husband's liquor problem or he has not. If not, it had better be found out right away. Then you and your husband can get right down to fundamentals. If a repetition is to be prevented, place the problem along with with everything else in God's hands. In order for me to keep my recovery, I must continue to work the steps daily and trust and rely on God. What we have related is based upon experience, some is painful. We had to learn these things the hard way. That is why we are anxious that you understand and that you avoid these unnecessary difficulties. On page 52 in the big book, it tells us, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. I can't forget my past or where I came from and can share this with newcomers and sponsees. I would never want to go back to the life that I lived before before recovery, but it is my story, and it helped me to get where I am now. This program is a solution, and if we are willing to do the work, simple but not easy, we don't have to live that way anymore. So to you out there who may soon be with us, we say good luck and God bless you. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, Kathleen W. Thank you to all our panelists this morning, Deb W., Kathy K., Deborah S., Charles H., Judy F., Kathleen W. Thank you for illuminating Chapter 8 to Wives through your personal experience and insights. Very rich and profound this morning. Thank you very much. Contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. And we're now going to transition to Q&A questions. If you have questions for our panelists, please press star 1 to unmute. Identify yourself, please. Katie G. from Boston. Katie G. Anyone else? Shoshana K. from Maryland. Shoshana K. Suzanne K. from New Jersey. Suzanne K. Anyone else? Okay, let's start with this trilogy. And Katie, I'm not catching that last name. Did someone unmute? Sarah O. from Massachusetts. Sarah O., am, am I correct? Yes. Okay. Please mute. Thank you. KDG, go ahead. Sure, Leah. Can you hear me? Yes. Perfect. Thank you so much, Leah. KDG, recovered from all operator, anorexic and bulimic, newly married in Boston. And I only say that because I love hearing everything my brothers and sisters said. And um, I know you guys all talked about this. I guess I just wanted to hear a little bit more about the ways in which you specifically balance program and your husband or program and your wife. Um, I really try and keep an open channel, and there are surprising times that he'll finally say to me, okay, that's a lot, um, but I just was hoping you could extrapolate a little bit more on that 
and on repetitive character defects and what really um, keeps you clean from doing damage in the marriage. Thank you for your service. And anybody who feels motivated, I welcome your input. Thanks. Thank you, Katie G. Okay, let's take two panelists uh, responding to that question. Uh, Kathy Kay. Please, thank you. Go ahead. Um, Katie, thank you for your question. Um, what comes to my mind intuitively is that um, I, I am often faced with a challenge of discerning people-pleasing um, from um, self-centeredness um, that is, I will want to apologize at the first sign of upset on the part of my husband when, in fact, uh, it may not be mine to fix. So uh, that's just a minor example. But for me, every time there is some tension in our relationship, I have learned to go right to God and to pray about it and to not act immediately. And if I don't get a clear message uh, from my higher power about the next right action, I'll pick up the phone uh, and talk to a fellow traveler. So that's my way of working on a daily basis. And... Um, I do feel like over time I've gotten more clarity, but nonetheless, um, I do have my character defects, and they do pop up, and the best thing I can do is partner with God, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy Kay. Any other panelists want to respond to this question? Judy? Please go ahead, Judy. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, gosh, what of a couple of things. Um, when we get into um, an argument or heated discussion, I, I have to look at, you know, my, my part and um, see, is it, am I upset for what's going on right now or is it something in my past? Am I, am I reacting as, you know, the little girl with, um, you know, my father, because sometimes we had that um, kind of dynamic going on, and I, I have done some work on that. The other thing is I need to let him have his feelings. Um, he reacts to things differently than I do, um, and he, he doesn't have a program, um, and uh, he has a, a higher power in his life, but he accesses that in a different way, and um, I... I really thought my way was better <laughs> and I really thought like I, I react with fear and, and, um, and I have to just let him have his feelings and not fix them and not think they have anything to do with me, like not taking it personally. And he'll even say, Judy, this has nothing to do with you. And, um, because, you know, I'm self-centered. So I, I think everything has to do with me in our relationship. <laughs> so, um, that has really helped. Just let him have his feelings, let him um, deal how he needs to deal with it, and it can be different than me. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you. Judy F., 
Thanks, Katie G, for the question. Shoshana K. Shoshana K. Star one to unmute. Hi, Leah. Can you hear me now? Yes. Go ahead. Sorry, I was muted. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for your great service and these beautiful shares. Um, really appreciate it. I wanted to focus on prayer. Kathy Kay just touched a little bit on what my question was. She already kind of answered it, but I just wanted to ask a question to the panelists about how they use prayer in regards to, like, the 10th, 11th step, um, how they use prayer in the program in general, and just um, along the lines of prayer, just also in relationship to what we were just saying about you know, dealing with family members, like I was told by one of uh, recovered people in the program that when you make a suggestion, it's great. One time is a suggestion for someone, but if you keep saying it over and over again, it becomes control. And where prayer comes in with that, too. Okay, thank you. Any panelists like to respond to that question? This is Deb W. Please go ahead, Deb. Um, <clears throat> I uh, noted. Go ahead, Deb. Okay. I uh, was just thinking when you were asking that question, it, all the, you know, the experiences I've had to get to where I am today, and I still have a long way to go, but um, I think that uh, one of the things I love about the big book that says our dependence is on God, that's the whole point, is getting our dependence turned around from being on another person, including our husbands, including our spouses, I mean our uh, parents and people that we expect something different from. And if we're depending on an answer from God, then I can take my expectations away from people who disappoint me because they're just like me, perhaps they are spiritually sick. So the more that I rest in this, petitioning a power greater than me to, first of all, even, you know, before I even go into a conversation with my husband, you know, making sure that I am balanced. If he makes me mad, I have to pull out and make sure that I wait on that pause, that pause that gives me a turnaround in my anger which I didn't do very well last night, but in my anger and in my frustrations because they're mine, you know. I, I, I think I matured in our marriage when I, I got to the place that, you know, if I can have a program that works me to a better place then, and to a more mature place, then we can deal with communication, with questions, with working out issues, without all the drama, without all the motion. Well, only for me, God does that, and only through prayer, and only through stepping away and taking a pause before I want to go back in with all the, well, I deserve this, this is, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Thank you, Deb W. Devora S., you wanted to respond as well. Yeah, so how do we how do we incorporate prayer into our daily uh relationships, uh, issues that come up? Is that basically the question that I'm hearing? Yes. 
Okay, so I used to think that it has to be this big lofty, uh, you know, stuff accompanied by violins and like just, you know, all this stuff was in my head. You know, I really, you know, keeping it simple, you know, cha um, bless them, change me, that pause, pray in your spiritual energy, just, just, the, um, just that pause, stopping and saying a silent prayer and, um, and, and giving it over, surrendering, um, knowing that, you know, even possibly saying the first three steps to yourself. Um, and, and, you know, and like I said, bless them, change me. It doesn't have to be big and fancy and lofty. It's very, very simple. Um, just that I know that I'm not getting into it, and I can't, and that God can, and, and that I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Devorah. Thank you, Shoshana Kay, for your question this morning. Suzanne Kay, your turn. Hi. Um, can you hear me? It's Suzanne yes. Kay. Okay, thank you so much um, for everyone's service this morning. Um, I have, I have a, co a question about um, dealing with resentment in relationships um, and having letting them go and daily turning them over. Um, and it involves a lot of financial, uh, you know, what I thought was supposed to be, <laughs> and then things change along the way. And, um, and there's resentment within me that, you know, the prayers and everything I do try to do. But I'm wondering, is there um, suggestions for just trying to daily, you know, working on resentment, fear, the anger, um, is deep down, it's very deep because of the way I was brought up, like someone was supposed to take care of me, but I'm taking care of someone who's very who's disabled in my partnership and love this person, but, you know, deep, there's been this resentment, and, you know, I just wanted some suggestions on how you guys um, handle that, if you ever had that experience. All right, pass. Thank you. Panelists? Anyone like to respond? This is Deb Deb. Deb W, did I hear another voice as well? Kathleen. Kathleen, thank you. Go ahead, Deb. Nobody was saying anything, so <clears throat> my little, I will be quiet after this. <laughs> my experience has really come forward with the resentment issue. My husband had a stroke in April, and thank God sometime before that, the resentments I held for him for like 15 years, God delivered me from that. I was so grateful with this stroke and the time and the care it takes to care for him that I didn't carry that resentment because it is something that I know is a spiritual uh, gift because it it would be easy to feel resentment because when they're sick, they really need a lot of attention. And so, um, my um, my way to the healing of the resentment came from the constant work between me and God. So I only can say that maybe going through the inventory again over those resentments, coming to the realization that no matter what the issue is, the resentment is within me and it's eating me alive and it's blocking me from God. So that's all I got to share. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. Kathleen W., Hi, this is Kathleen W. Um, it's been my experience if um, I have a resentment, of course, 
you know, I need to do a step 10. And if I have reoccurring resentments that I keep obsessing about that just won't go away, um, I need to do a deep dive, like a mini four-step. And what I found with me is um, a lot of my reoccurring, I don't know if you were asking about reoccurring um, resentments, but a lot of my resentments can be triggered by like a core issue from my childhood that keeps resurfacing in other people. Um, you know, someone might remind me of someone that I had a childhood issue with, you know, that um, gave me fear, resentment, whatever. And it, and it just keeps resurfacing with other people in my life as an adult. And I get triggered because it reminds me subconsciously of that initial experience as a child. And I've learned that through this whole process. Um, and so then I, I, so then I really need to um, do a, a, a mini fourth step on that issue because um, God will keep presenting people in my life um, that trigger me until I really do a fourth step on that core resentment or fear that started in my childhood. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Kathleen, and thank you, Suzanne Kay, for the question. Sarah O. Was there a Sarah O that had a question? Star one to unmute. Okay, perhaps I'm wrong on that one. Anyone else have a question this morning for our panelists? We'll take another grouping. Yes. Linda R., please. Linda R. Gladys F. Gladys. Anyone else? This will be the final invitation for questions this morning. Kim L. Kim L. I didn't catch the last. Okay. Tara K. Okay. Linda R., go right ahead. Thank you. Thank you so much for everyone's service on the line today. Linda R. recovered in South Florida. You know, it's so unbelievable how this is. Un- I relate to everything that's being uh, said today. This is one of the fine, um, the finer points where I am working on each day with my higher power in my recovered state. Anyway, my question really is about honesty. You know, a lot of times with my spouse, there are things that really trouble me that, as everyone is sharing, come up from my family of origin. Many times I'm very reactive. I don't always respond, and I, it escalates sometimes. However, what do you, what's, what, how do you deal with honesty? Like, if something's bothering me, a lot of times for me, it would be better not to disclose what's bothering me to my spouse. Because then it will start, you know, a lot of issues. So I'd like to know if the panel can tell me how often do you use direct honesty or can you give me some feedback on that, whether to be honest, whether to withhold, maybe talk to other fellows. That's my question. How often are you totally gut-level honest with your, you know, significant other or with other people in your family? Thank you. That's my question. Kathy Kay? Thanks, Linda R. for the question. Kathy Kay. Anyone else? All right, it's yours, Kathy. Go ahead. Judy. And Judy F. Go ahead. 
Linda, thank you for your question. I've really um, grown in this area over the years. Uh, when I first started practicing the principle of honesty, I thought it meant I was to um, tell my husband everything that was on my mind. And um, I quickly learned that this was quite selfish on my part. Um, and uh, now um, I I almost always run, by, run an issue by a fellow traveler if I have a sense that it's going to be a sensitive one in my relationship with my husband. Um, because uh, there are things that I don't necessarily feel comfortable with with my husband, and to raise them without carefully reflecting on my part first would likely lead to uh, blame and shame. At least that's been my experience. So for me, honesty, sometimes it certainly requires being honest with myself first, and then with God and another person, and I would say it's only after I've done that work that I will bring a sensitive issue to my husband. And I'll also say there are certain issues where we have irreconcilable differences, actually, um, that I've learned um, not to take to my husband because, I know, um, at least at this stage in our lives, um, bringing it up for discussion is not going to be fruitful cause hurt and pain. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy K. Judy F. Yeah, hi, Judy F. Again, um, and I can concur with Kathy, and I do have experience when we were first married, I... Um, I shared with my husband that I was really afraid of his neediness and his dependence on me being around. And, and he's never forgotten that. And um, I've made amends for that because, I mean, he was just being human and we're needy in our relationships, but I really made it like it was a huge defect of his and, and that if he was ever needy to me, that that was something not good. And so, um, I I didn't bring that to God. I just, you know, that I just said what I felt in the moment. And today what I do is when I'm feeling um, maybe a negative feeling or something that I want to say to him, I, I always, I run it by God. I'll um, sometimes write on it, um, pray on it and, um, and, and not, and, and give it at least 24 hours. And I will also go to my sponsor about it or, or someone that knows, knows me and, and, um, and our relationship, um, and what we've struggled with. And I'll also, in going to God, you know, is this necessary for my husband to know? Um, because there's, um, I remember hearing, you know, we, we didn't marry our girlfriend, we married our, her husband. And that's, um, in other words, I didn't marry my sponsor or even another fellow, um, OAer. And there's a place for everyone. And, and me not sharing some things isn't being dishonest. Is, is this going to benefit him? Does he need to know? Um, and does God want me to share it? Uh, and so I definitely need to go to God, go to another um, recovered um, OA person that, that also knows, knows me. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank you. 
Thank you, Judy F. All right, our next question comes from Gladys S. Gladys, star one to unmute. Gladys F. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Hi, uh, my name is Gladys, Composable Eater. Um, thanks for all the shares from the panelists. I identify with everything because I'm like a, a, a you know, a child that grew up in around alcoholic and depression and you know, codependent relationships, and I I just kind of carry that into my adulthood, and you know, even even after I was like found out about like twelve step programs and broke the broke the steps and everything and try to change it it was like still I was able to um function, you know, in my marriage and my relationships afterwards after my marriage dissolved and you know, I was just kinda of wondering, um, you know, like being back in program and you know, because the last relationship that I was in, it was like I had I had like a out of body experience. You know, because I was working on recovery in another program, but I still saw myself. You know, it's like I saw myself acting crazy in relationships, and it really scared me, and it brought me back to program. So my question is, like, to anybody who want to answer this, like, what was it like through the process of your recovery, or that, or your relationship with your higher power, that really, like. You know, where you saw that, like, change in you where, oh, now, you know, I can be better with relationships because, you know, I can be better, a better partner to someone. Thank you, Gladys. Thank you for the question. Is there a panelist that would like to respond? This is Deb W. Go ahead, Deb. Try Devara S. Deb oh. W. And then I, go ahead. Oh, um, I was just uh, thinking, Gladys, I can identify with you also. It's so hard. Um, I think it's just so hard coming from circumstances and shaking what I came from. And like the set aside prayer says, being open to something new, you know, some new idea. And when I finished my uh, steps, when I finished the uh, fourth, fifth, and I, that's when I really began to feel like, even eighth, ninth, uh, I felt like I was empty because I was able to set aside that old Debbie and trying to see what is the new Debbie. If I, if all of what I had before didn't fit in life and wasn't working, then who am I and what am I? And I believe that God just little by little replaces our thinking and replaces our belief system and opens our eyes. Like you said, you had that spiritual awakening. Well, we have many, many, many little spiritual awakenings that change our thoughts and change the way that we see things. And one of the biggest things was that I took my expectations off of man and I put them on God. I mean, as long as I was expecting someone else to make me feel better, someone else to pay for something that hurt me, then I was going to continue to be disappointed. So I think that was one of the revelations for me. Thank you. 
Thanks, Deb. Devora. Yeah, hi. Yeah, hi. Um, thank you so much for the question. And I just want to, this thing is on a daily basis. The more I do the work, the more I keep the focus on, you know, my, my steps, you know, living in step 10, when something comes up, doing a nightly inventory, that's where I see the shift. That's where I get that aha moment. That's where I see my character defects the most because I'm where I'm still trying to plow my way, trying to get people to do what I want them to do. That's that's where I see it. And and, you know, on a daily basis that's, you know, examining myself and seeing what could I have done better? Um, where could I have um um utilized these steps more? That's where I see the shift each day. Um slowly, slowly, very, very slow, but as long as I keep, you know, in that right path and in that mode, um you know, things will happen, um, and and I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Devora, and of course, thank you, Gladys, for the question. Kim L. Um, good morning. This is Kim L. from South Carolina. I uh, just want to say thank you to all the panelists. Um, I've gotten something really valuable out of everything that each of uh, um, what each one of you has said this morning. Um, I guess my question is. I've noticed that on my journey, this takes a lot of work, a lot of time, and a lot of hard work. And um, I was wondering if any of you have ever felt like you've been, you work really, really hard, but yet still might fall into, um, well, what I'm finding is that I'm falling into feeling sorry for myself, especially around the holidays. It seems to hit a little bit harder. And I feel like I'm doing a lot of work, but yet that keeps coming up. So I was wondering if any of you have ever felt that way and what steps or what you've taken or what you've done to get out of that um, for me, martyr role. So thank you. Thank you, Kim. Anybody ever felt self-pity on any of our panelists relate to that? Charles H. Okay, Charles, go ahead. I figured I'd answer one of the questions. <laughs> um, you know, recover, 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 and and you know wherever you feel, you know, I could identify with that because you know just 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 for me, like talking all the time, and like there, there comes a point that that um that I need to really look inside of myself and like you know what, like I don't have to have the burden of of uh you know, thinking what I'm going to say and all that stuff, I need to really recover, recover, recover. I'm talking about really recover, recover, recover. I know myself. I know my weaknesses. I know my flaws. And, uh, you know, if I really want to recover, I need to stop. Like, all all the lip service got to stop. You know, that's the problem. For me, you know, what what go what I put in my mouth and what comes out my mouth. And that's why sometimes I just need to shut up. And and, and that that's where I learned. Like I was going hard in this program, you know, yeah, you know, I'm I'm going all these meetings, I'm I'm doing I'm taking all these ste- you know, these ten steps and I'm going hard but I wasn't I, I wasn't getting anything until until God said, This is a season that you gonna shut up and you gonna learn and you gonna get something. And I'm getting so much I forgot your name, but I'm getting so much by learning my weaknesses and learning that that self 
selfishness and self-centered and egotistical is, is the root of my problems. I mean, we, I mean, I could read it. I could read 60, 61, 62 till the cows come home. But until I internalized it, like page 30 says, until I got it in my marrow, um, oh, my God, it's just a new level. you talking about, I mean, I was husband number five when it came to that, if there was ever one. But, um, yeah, it, once I found my weakness, then that's where I got the strength from. I hope that helps a little bit. Thanks. Thank you, Charles H. Any other panelists want to respond to Kim's question? Uh, yeah, definitely. Oh. Who would like it? <laughs> Go ahead, Kathleen. Oh, okay. Um, this is Kathleen W. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, the big book teaches us turn our thoughts and actions to someone we can help. And when I focus, when when I focus on my self pity or I wish I had this or I wish I had that or whatever, that means I'm living in my head and I'm focusing more on me. And the big book teaches us, you know, to help and serve others. So, you know, if I can get out of myself by working the steps and go help, you know, call a newcomer, talk to a sponsee, it doesn't even have to be someone in the program. I could go help someone at work. Sometimes I'll pray, you know, after I do a 10-step, I'll pray, God, present someone to me. Bring someone to me that I can help today. Open my eyes, make it very clear who can I help today to get out of my stuff. Because when I help someone and get out of my thinking, it it gives me, I feel really good about helping someone. So, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Kathleen. Of course, thank you, Kim L., for the question. And our final question this morning comes from Tara K. Thank you. Uh, Leah, and um, thanks everyone who's been sharing so powerfully today on the on this major, the biggest relationship we have in on Earth. Usually, um, I had a little altercation um, verbally. I, my husband, and I were watching a, a program and. He made a comment um, about one of the people, the contestants on this program, and it was something to do with weight. And I just, um, I just like had a emotional, you know, oh, just critical, judgmental reaction to it and I just struggled for a second I was like kind of choking backwards but then I finally said something like I can't believe you said that and um and he was so hurt that and he said well you know I can remember when you've been critical about people you know so then um it's it was just such a a difficult thing to um for me to figure out what what do I do you know do i how do I make an amends do i wait and and there was just such a level of pain in him from my comment that Tara, can we excuse me can we a formulate a question please thank when, you 
Right. When, how soon do you make an amends then when someone's, when you've, you know, been, um, it's, it's just, I guess, not my business, but anyway, if anyone wants to comment on that kind of the timing maybe and how to make amends or, you know, stepping on someone's toes that way. Thank you. Thank you, Tara. Any of our panelists like to respond? Kathy Kay? Please go ahead, Kathy. Well, the big book tells us we should make amends for things like that as soon as possible, as soon as we become aware of them. At the same time, the big book also suggests that when we're learning how to do Step nine, that we run it by a fellow, a recovered fellow traveler first to make sure that we have the right motives uh, for making the amends. Um, Sometimes, I know I did at first, I made amends just because I didn't want my husband to be upset with me anymore. I wasn't making it because I genuinely saw my part and wanted to correct my action. So um, over time we learn how to do it, and the working uh, principle is to make them as soon as we become aware that we've done something wrong. I pass. Thank you, Kathy Kay. Thank you, Tara, for the question. Thank you to all who asked questions this morning, and, of course, thank you to our panelists, Deb W., Kathy K., Devorah S., Charles H., Judy F., and Kathleen W., for all that you gave to us this morning on the line. Thank you so much. We're going to close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.